Welcome to the Jack and John Podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm John. And we're on a mission. To help you focus on Christ. We've got a special guest with us today. This is our good friend, (laughs) J.D. Miller. Um, I've known J.D. for a long time, but honestly, probably not half as long as as Jack has. Uh, J.D.'s got quite a story and uh, background, and he is the musical wizard. Um, He even had Merlin as like your nickname, nickname, you know. So um, I'm going to let Jack do most of the the questions and talking today and we're just going to hear from jd and touch his heart and hope that he can touch yours well let me say that friendship is an amazing thing i think that everybody needs friends and i was told long long time ago that um uh, you do have a circle of friends but you your your circle kind of continues to extend out uh your closest friends if you're fortunate enough to have four or five best friends in your life then you are very, very blessed. I would say that I've got three in this room Wow, that, that are, are as good of friends as I could possibly have. But this guy is what I would probably call, probably call my best friend. And uh, the reason I would say that is that I met him when he was about 19 years yeah, old. That's right. And uh, I think I was 24 years old. And uh, we started traveling in the Gospel Couriers, the Gospel Group. Uh, in, uh, we actually traveled in 38 of the continental United States. We went to Africa together. We went to India together. And uh, we have been uh, to the Honduras together, yeah. um, done some mission work together. And um, I was his best man in his wedding. You're still the and, best man. And, <laughs> and uh, he's just a very, very close friend. But I have to say, uh, if I get emotional, it's because I'm old yeah. and, and sick. Um, <laughs> because nothing new. Really. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want doctor, to give. Dude. I don't want to give JD any ammunition <laughs> against me. Uh, so, and there will probably be some interesting, funny stories and things like that. Well, you know, you were not my first choice for best man when I got married. I know your brother was it, brother Steve. Brother, he was uh, in the military at Fort Leavenworth, and he got called out on red alert uh, maneuvers, and at the last minute. You volunteered and said, I want to be your best. No, you asked me. I didn't volunteer. <laughs> we don't remember things See, quite the no, same, you, John. But, I didn't volunteer. But, I didn't say I want to no, be that's your right. best. No, that's right. You said, would you I be could, my I said, I can't find another best man. <laughs> uh, no, I said, Could I you be my find, second best I man? Yeah, <laughs> I can't find a better man than you, John. Yeah. See, the problem he fit, was. He fit the tux, and so it, it all worked out. <laughs> the problem was, J.D. didn't know what a best man did or what he was. Well, I'd never been married before. That's how, right. How would so, I know? My, in my opinion, the best man hangs with the groom, kind of takes care of him. You know, if he needs something, Awkward. then you go <laughs> get him a drink. You know, you take care of him. You make sure he doesn't go out the back door, that he stays. <laughs> and that's what he's supposed to do. Yeah. And uh, true story, uh, there was a moment there that day that you got married, and I was kind of hanging pretty tight to J.D.'s hip. And uh, he wasn't used to me, you know, just being there all the time. And he kind of looked at me like, what are you doing here? Would you please kind of get a little separation here? And and I said, J.D., do you know what a best man is? And he said, no. (laughs) And I said, well, the best man takes care of the groom. He hangs with the groom. I'm, I'm here until you are given or you take this bride to just help you and do anything you want for. And and he went, oh. Now, where did you learn that? I mean, you had to teach it to me, but you must have learned it from somewhere. Well, you know, 
Some some people just osmosis. Just osmosis. Kind of, yeah, just kind of learn that. Well, you've always had a heart for helping others. And so I think <laughs> it demonstrated itself. I think I'd probably done a few way, more. <laughs> way back then. Yeah, I'd never been the best man. Nobody ever asked me to do that. <laughs> so J.D. and I have so many stories when we traveled on the road together because it was the two of us that traveled in a Dodge Sportsman van. We had all of the music, all of the records, records, 33 and a third long play records, and eight tracks. And cassettes when they came out. Well, we even sold sheet music. And sheet music on the sheet music rack. I slept on that rack a few times. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, all of the equipment. And uh, the other two that were in the group was husband and wife. And they traveled in a Dodge Travco van. And so J.D. and I would go and get to the church or the venue early. And Mm -hmm. together we would set up everything. And uh, then the prima donnas the <laughs> would come in and they would, uh, you know, shake everybody's hand. And then when the concert was over, we'd shake everybody's hand and try to minister to folks. And they're out and we tore it all down yeah. and put it back up. And I think the thing that made J.D. and I closest was what, J.D.? I don't know. Well, we were kind of alike. In, a, in several areas. You were like a big brother to me, though. I mean, you were always the wise, you know, spiritual leader and so forth. And I was always trying to get us in trouble. I, that's the way I remember it anyway. And you were the the, uh, the, the, the solid guy, you know, no, let's stay on the uh, straight and narrow, you know. But Well, the, what, what I, he always, worked. He worked. You know, in the music business, you have a lot of prima donnas, unfortunately. And you have a lot of people that, that have the attitude that they're going to come in and they're going to, um, uh, you know, just just be the star of the night. And what JD would do is, uh, we would work together. And you didn't have to look and say, "Where's Where's JD? I'm tearing all this stuff down. I'm carrying it and loading it in the van." Because he was always there. And so, what I'd say about JD is that he he was a servant, always served people. Thanks. You have kind of a philosophy on that, don't you? How you feel about that? Uh, just serving people? I should and... say no just to stick him on it, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I, Jesus, I think, set the example. Uh, it says on the night he was betrayed, he gave the servants the night off, and he washed everybody's feet. Mm-hmm. And he broke the bread, and he served the cup. And he said that if you want to be the greatest, you need to be the least. Mm-hmm. Bill Gaither told me something one time, too. He said it's better to be invited to the table than asked to leave. And I, I think God, if you allow God to open the doors for you instead of trying to shove them open and make everything your way, I think give God the opportunity to work. That's what I've experienced in my life is God has opened doors I could have never opened based on my own strength mm-hmm. or talent or, or influence. And it's been an amazing job. So at what age did you start performing? What group did you get in first? And how did that start? I could play the piano when I was five. And... Uh, I started playing in church. My dad was doing revivals when I was about seven. And uh, I found out later, you know, people were in booking him to lead singing so I could come play the piano. No, I'm just kidding. But when I was nine, he, he got his full, first full-time ministry at a church. And uh, I, I was so excited because um, I was going to get to play on Sunday morning. They never let me play on Sunday morning. You know, it was... Uh, well, one of the elders said I played like that guy in Miss Kitty's saloon. You know, and mm. they didn't think that was appropriate for Sunday morning. But anyway, when Dad became a minister, my brother and sister and I began singing together. And uh, so we, we did revivals with Dad, and of course we served in the church. So about seven, nine years old, around in there. And then when I was about 12, we had, uh, back back in the 60s, te- television st- uh, stations had talent contests, kind of like America's Got Talent. And then they would feed the larger 
talent contest of the day, like Ted Mack Amateur Hour and that sort of thing. So they were looking for talent. And it was a great way to get people involved in their local uh, TV station. Well, our trio uh, tried out for several of those talent shows. And we were in Parkersburg, West Virginia. I remember when we won one of the contests, we got a job singing on a country music show. I was in seventh grade. And the show was called Big Red Jubilee. And uh, it was a live show uh, where it was on Wednesday nights and you rehearsed the show an hour before the show was actually went live. And in this, in this show, there were a lot of Nashville stars that came to the show like that. And there were, they toured several shows like that. But I got to back up people like George Jones and uh, Tom T. Hall and Loretta Lynn and stuff. They came here on a Wednesday night. We learned their songs on a record, they would sing two songs, and we learned the backup parts. So my brother and sister and I sang with all these West Country Western people when I was like in junior high. And you even wrote music and recorded with a country music star, didn't you, or two? Are you talking Kenny Rogers? I am. Yes, I was very blessed. J.P. Pennington, uh, lead singer with Exiles, he'd had 15 number one songs. He invited me to write some songs with him. One of the songs we wrote was called Two Good Reasons. And if you go on YouTube and type in Kenny Rogers, Two good reasons you'll hear the song that he recorded, and uh, I had very—I was very blessed to have amazing doors open. Uh, before I was writing songs, though, I was writing jingles. Well, before you go there, because I think that's a pretty interesting part of your story, I wanted to tell a story. Okay. Uh, when, when about your writing, your shoe? Yes. Okay. Uh, I was uh, uh, JD and I had gotten in late. It was a Sunday, and our typical weekend was sing on Saturday night, sing on Sunday Saturday. Uh, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. So we often would do five concerts in three days. And that meant uh, tearing down, setting up, you know, moving, going to the next thing. So we had done uh, a concert, and then we traveled, and we got to this church in time to take a nap, which is what I wanted to do. <laughs> and so I was in the back of the van, all the windows, the doors open, and I was trying to take a nap, and J.D. comes bursting in, and uh, waking me up, he was all excited. He said, Jack, Jack, I, I broke into the, oh, no, I found my way into the church <laughs> building. Uh, he broke into the church building, and he said, let's go write a song. And I went, I'm not going to go write a song. I'm going to go take a nap. You go write a song. And so J I think this was probably J.D.'s first song. At least he told me it was. It was the first one. And he wrote a song, and uh, it was called I Fall on My Knees and Pray, and we arranged it together, yep. I think, and we put Sweet Hour of Prayer in it and Big Ending and Gospel Ending and put it on a record and just one of my favorite songs of all yeah. time. Yeah, you sang the first song I ever wrote. I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, that and uh, so that was his first song. But what J.D. did eventually, in order to make a living at music, uh, you either have to play in a pretty good group that gives you a pretty good salary or find something else. What did you find to do as far as your recording and your other writing? Well, as a player, I had the opportunity to start playing on sessions. Uh, and then That's recording sessions. So you Recording record sessions, yes. Uh, and I started with our group. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I, I was invited to play on some other groups' albums. And one, one, one day I showed up at the studio and this guy, the artist, solo, soloist, uh, he had a hymn book, and that's all he had. And the players I was working with, they were used to having charts and arrangements. This guy didn't have any arranger, didn't have a producer. And the, the uh, musician said, well, if you don't have any charts, we can't record. And so he came to me, he says, uh, 
I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I've, I've got the studio time booked, got musicians. And, and I said, well, listen, I think I can, if you sit down with me here, I think we can come up with some arrangements and get these guys to play them. And so that's what we did. We did 10 hymns. It turned out really nice. And, and you he, wrote the charts. Uh, well, just real quickly, yeah, just uh-huh. sketched them out. And so we worked it out right there in the studio. And after we were done, the guy paid me double what he paid everybody else. <laughs> oh, that is there pretty you good. Go. You know? So you thought, I can do this. Well, the people who own the studio, the engineer, he said, you know what? You can make extra money every week if you wanted to do this for other people. And I said, no, no way. He says, yeah, you could. So they started hiring me to do that. And I was working as a arranger and piano player. And then I, I worked in a studio in Lexington. I got a I got a contract. A friend of mine bought a record label out of Nashville called Rebel Records. And he didn't know much about the business, but he wanted his wife to be on a label, so he, he buys this label. And he did he hired me to be their producer. And I was working at a studio in Lexington and eventually I got to got to be the uh, studio manager. Guy hired me there, Cecil Jones at Limco. And uh, then eventually he and I became partners. And then when he passed away, I ended up owning the whole thing. And, uh, and uh, the Gospel Couriers cut a record there. Did they? They did. The the old request box. Oh, that's right. Was but that's, there. You produced that. That was after I was out of the group. Yeah, that was after you were out of the yeah, group. And that was my last recording there. <laughs> and then you did something for me. You did four songs for me there. It was a labor of love, Jack. It was, wasn't it? Because you didn't <laughs> charge me a penny. What? Maybe he owes me some money. I probably do. Yeah, um, we'll go to lunch. The yeah, other thing interest. that you have done that's pretty interesting is I'll bet you that John can sing a, a bit of a song, and everybody listening to this today will know exactly what it is. Oh, really? Do you know any of my songs? Nationwide. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, sing it, John. Nationwide is on your side. Who wrote that? I did. J.D. Yeah. Miller wrote that. And if you think he got rich doing it, nope, he just sold it. <laughs> Peyton Manning has gotten rich. Yeah. 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 Speaking of, how much did you sell that first song for? Uh, a dollar. Uh, no, it was. They were they were a regional company back then when I did mm-hmm. that. They had oh, yeah. they had actually produced a jingle with Barry Manilow and another guy named Carmen uh, previously before they came to our studio. But they didn't like they didn't like what they got, and they came to do a voiceover at our studio, a little studio in Lexington. And the the producer just happened to say, "I just don't like this music." And I said, "Well, listen." I've just started doing jingles. Would you let me do a jingle for you for free? And if you like it, then pay for it. And if you don't like it, it won't cost you anything. Well, I did a jingle overnight, and they came back the next day, and they liked it. And so the rest was history. J.D., uh, tell us some of the jingles that some of our folks might might know that you wrote. Wasn't there a McDonald's jingle Mc- that you I did? I did McDonald's Today. Sing it for me. McDonald's Today. <laughs> and uh, we did Good Times, Great Taste at McDonald's. And we did uh, breakfast morning meeting, breakfast morning meeting place at, at McDonald's. I did three for them. And then for Kentucky Fried Chicken, we did, we do chicken, right? You wrote that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, for budget, we did budget super summer rates really make the going great budget. I did 60 jingles a year for about 12 years. Wow. So it was a lot of jingles. And we had a lot of fun. I, I, got, I got to work with so many wonderfully talented people in that business. And it was like... It was like going to play every day at work. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. And then you traveled uh, for a while with the Bill Gaither ministry. I did. Yes, you yeah. Did. I'm sorry. I, I you did. were the piano player for, for <laughs> thirteen years. Uh, for thirteen years. Yeah. You? I tell you, how that happened was Jim Hill, 
who wrote What a Day That Will Be. So that used to be uh, leading the Statesman Stamps. Quartet. Stamps Quartet. Stamps Quartet. He traveled with Elvis. And, yeah, right. But he was from Lexington at right. Wayne Smith Church where you and I right. went. And uh, we did a wedding together in Lexington. Uh, and they had hired Jim Hill to sing at the wedding. And they, they hired me to play for him. Afterwards, we went to the reception. And he sang all of his old great gospel songs, which they had asked him to do. And I played there for him. On the way out of the, out of the reception in the park lot, he said, hey, somebody told me you're writing some songs. He said, I'd sure love to hear your songs. And I was just, I was honored. But Jim Hill, you know. And I happened to have a cassette in my car of some of those songs. I had put demos together for it, gave it to him. And about three weeks later, I was in a recording studio uh, in Louisville working for on, on a project for Valvoline Oil. And I was very nervous because I only had two hours to produce this big thing. And, uh, orchestra was on the floor. We had nine singers and three guys in three-piece suits. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. And I told my secretary, I said, please, no phone calls, you know, for this, during this time. She said, oh, I understand. In five minutes' time, the phone was ringing, you know. And you know what it's like when you're in the studio and getting interrupted. You just can't get anything done. Mm. So I, I said, who is it? She says, the guy says his name is Bill Gaither. I said, well, Bill Gaither wouldn't be calling me. I've never met the guy, you know. And so I, I thought it was Jack or somebody making making a joke. So I picked up the phone. I said, I'm busy. And I hung up. And, uh, yeah. And so in about 10 minutes, the secretary called, interrupted again. She says, this guy says he really is Bill Gaither. And he really doesn't want to talk to you. And I, I knew it wasn't Bill Gaither. I, you know, I thought it was Jack again. So I said, look, I don't know who you are, but I'm busy. And I'm going to put you to my secretary. She'll take your number. And if, when I have time, I'll call you. I hung up the second time. Guess what? It was Bill it was Gaither. <laughs> and Jim Hill had taken my tape to Bill's home and got him out in his car and made him listen. And he and Gloria were interested in writing together. And so they invited me to meet him in, in Nashville the next week. And we wrote, that first time we met together, we wrote the song, Never Thirst Again, that Lulu Roman recorded mm -hmm. and uh, other groups recorded. Did you do Tally's Friends? Or? We, we wrote Old Friends later on. Yeah, yeah so we sure did. But he, uh, they hired me. Uh, they, he said, look, we want you to go on the road. Maybe we can write more together when we have time. We ended up never writing any songs in 13 years on the road. But we did write about 30-some songs when we were in between our times. And they took me not as a piano player, it was a songwriter, but they said, we'll pay you to play the piano just so you can be out here. So you don't have to play if you don't want to, it's all on tape. So it was, a, it was interesting, but they opened so many doors. And I want to say about the Gaithers, they are everything that they pretend to be. They're authentic, they're genuine, they've helped right. so many people. Uh, and they helped my family, especially. And I'll, I'll be forever grateful to the Gaithers for what they did. But they're wonderful people. We were talking with the videographer, uh, Mike, earlier, and uh, he was talking about the Gaithers were just here at, your, yes. at, this, yes. at this facility for a concert. And he said they were the most genuine and uh, friendly people that, and as far as performers, he had mm -hmm. ever had here. And I think that's a testimony to who they really are. J.D., I know there's something that's really near and dear to your heart that you have gotten into and you've done and uh, actually taken this to places that probably I can't fathom this, but in high-ranking places in China, in your mission work. Can you want to talk just a little bit about what you've done, especially in China? I know we went to Honduras together mm -hmm. on a mission trip, so I know you've done a lot of that. Can you tell them a little bit about your ministry and missions in China? It's a long story, and there's so many things I would love to tell, and I know we have limited time here, but briefly, 
I met a young man in Shelbyville, Kentucky. He was uh, running a Chinese restaurant. And uh, uh, in, in a conversation with him at the restaurant, his wife owned the restaurant, and she normally played Christian music, and I loved to go there to eat. Well, I walked in this restaurant one day, and loud, uh, obnoxious rock and roll music was playing. Not that I hate rock and roll music, but this music was pretty offensive. And after I ate, I went to pay my bill, and I spoke to this young man, and I said, hey, I really miss the Christian environment that's normally in this restaurant. And uh, he said, well, that's my wife's music. This is my music. She's gone to China and so I'm in charge, so this is my music. And I said, well, when would she be back? Because that's when I'm coming back. <laughs> and uh, he, we proceeded to talk, and I found out that he had been the principal pianist with the Shanghai Symphony for nine years before he came to the United States. He came to the United States on a full-paid scholarship and uh, had lost his scholarship because he started partying with the, you know, the American kids at, at college. And he lost his scholarship, he lost his opportunity, and he lost his honor in China. He quit playing the piano for 18 years. Wow. And when uh, I found that out, I invited him to come to our church and use our piano to practice. He was amazing. The most, I think the most amazing pianist I've ever heard. His name was Joseph Ching. And in getting to know each other, I found that he didn't know the Lord, but his wife did. And his wife had been praying for two years that someone would lead Joe to the Lord. Mm. And God answered that through our church and through our relationship. And so once Joe began playing again, and he had a relationship with the Lord, he wanted to go back to China and get his honor back and by, by doing concerts. And so uh, we did a concert there at our church and sold the tickets, and Joe got all the money. So he had money to go back to China. And uh, he took his wife, and they were planning on going. And then he asked me to go to China with him. And I said, Joe... I have no interest in going to China. I've been to Honduras, been to India, Africa, all the places you mentioned. And I said, I'm kind of getting old for this travel business. I said, I've got a full-time job here at the church. And uh, you go and with our blessing, and we hope you have a great, great success. He said, well, here's the deal. He says, you have been awarded uh, Grammy Awards. And he says, if I take you to China winning with your Grammy Awards, it will mean something to those people. And we'll have bigger audiences and we can reach more people for Jesus. If you go, he had a salesman. So I asked, I asked our, our board, our church board, if they would allow me to go. They paid my way. Wow! And they, uh, and and I was working at the time with a guy named Harold Moore. Harold had been the lead yeah. singer. You guys know him yeah, yeah. with the Drifters and Platters, yeah. amazing singer. He had gotten in the ministry and he was doing an album. Joe Ching walked into our studio there at this at the church, and was talking about our trip, and. Uh, Harold overheard. He says, are you going to China? I said, yeah, we're, we're going to go do some piano concert. He says, I've always wanted to go to China. Can I go with you guys? I said, no, Harold, you know, we're not doing your kind of music. You know, that's old, old 60s drifters music. And they said, we're doing classical and, you know, uh, piano. And Joe said, no, that'd be great if you go. He says, they would love your music. Well, Harold says, I want to go. He says, I need you to put me together a band. And so we had to get <laughs> nine people to play with Harold. And before you knew it, uh, Kenny Speaks uh, decided yeah. he wanted. We had 25 people that went with us on that tour, first tour. When we got, and we had an agenda that all the places we were going to sing and so forth, it all been set up. But when we landed in Shanghai that first time on the air, air, airplane, a phone rang. Uh, Joe had a cell phone. They had an agent that the government assigned to our tour to, to book everything. And Joe hung up from the guy. He said, Everything changed. I said, What do you mean everything changed? He says, We're not going to stay where I told you. 
We're not going to sing where I told you. We're not going to eat where I told you. So that agenda is no good. I said, what happened? He said the communist government found out that an award-winning producer is coming and giving his music away free without being invited. He said they're embarrassed. And so they've taken over our tour. And they rebooked everything. Our smallest audience on that first tour was 5,000 people. <laughs> we were what on, kind of hotel did you get? Well, we got the, the, the best China had. Because <laughs> we were a guest of the government. I ran into Putin three times that first tour I was in China. Ran into just, Yeah, we were going to the same restaurants <laughs> and the same tourist uh, events, and we just kept passing each other, like, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> and that was back in 2004, so it was a long time ago. But the, thing, the point of all that is that God had a plan, and it was through Joseph Ching. And by our relationship, by developing a relationship through Jesus Christ and music, God opened doors in communist China and got the communist government to underwrite our tour. Only God can do that kind of thing. And uh, so we, I was invited to uh, five different cities that first tour. I've been to 25 cities now in China and uh, four, five different tours. And every tour has been sponsored by the Chinese government. Well, J.D., I, I loved hearing about uh, the, the trip to China, and uh, what a great story meeting the guy through uh, his restaurant because yeah. his wife, who's a Christian, is out of town. I will tell you this, as a side, you know, from J.D.'s life, a part of his life is uh, he has never been ashamed to witness for Christ. And if you go around with him into his haunts around his house, uh, they know that he's a Christian, and he he will he will go to strangers, to uh, waitresses, to people at the desk in a hotel, and pretty soon he's got a conversation going, yeah. you know, about something of a deeper nature than just a, you know, a service conversation. He really cares about people, JD, and that's one of the things that I guess maybe has kept kept us close is yeah. just a, a love and a care for each other uh, through some pretty difficult times in life. Uh, JD's typically the one that when something uh, major happens to me, you know, he's the one I call or John. And you know, just depending on what the situation, if I need seriousness, I call John. <laughs> and, uh, if, if, <laughs> or an external exam. Or, yeah, we'll pass, bypass that. It's external. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, JD has been one of those people that. Um, it just hasn't gone the normal way, hasn't lived a normal life. It's like, you know, mom and dad would say, you know, son, you know, I want you to go to college and I want you to get that degree and I want you to get, want you to get that great job in that corporation. I want you to get that pension and I want you, yeah, it ain't going to happen, right? Yeah, right. Uh, I, don't, I can't see J.D. being pinned down. But I did want to tell one story uh, on J.D. He, he's made his living... Uh, playing the piano, and that's basically where it started, playing the right. piano. Right. And out of what is in his fingers and his mind and his emotions and his heart uh, comes through, you know, when he plays, and, and there's nobody. There may be somebody that can tickle the ivories faster or, quicker oh, yeah. or whatever, but there's nobody that can arrange or put songs together or touch, play the piano with more compassion. Uh, I believe in JD, and I can. I'll never forget uh, a revival meeting that we were doing one time in this little church in Norton, Kansas. Now, Norton, Kansas is right in the middle of the place in Kansas 
where you're driving west and you're saying Kansas is a horrible state. <laughs> it's just flat and there's nothing here and there's just, and, that, and there's Norton. And Norton had a church that was as sweet and special as the day is long. The minister and his wife, his son and daughter were just our friends and we loved them and, and we would go there every year and usually do a revival there. And uh, this moves into another story, but one night there were seven or eight uh, decisions that were made for Christ in this revival meeting toward the end. And so there were going to be eight baptisms that night. And so the piano, J.D. just jumps to the piano, which is what he does, and he started playing just background music while we're waiting for the candidates to get dressed in baptismal robes and all those kind of things. And he began to play a music with a montage of, of the theme of love, of God's love. And I was sitting on the front row, and I was already kind of blessed by just that service that night. But he began, I could not tell you any of the songs but one that he played. And he started playing hymns and, and songs and choruses and and just different things about God's love. And he would change keys and he would get loud. And I was sitting there just so blessed. And he ended the whole thing with a simple arrangement of Jesus loves me. And folks, I, I was raised in the independent Christian church. And I've heard the argument of the instrument. And now it's not under God's authority, and it shouldn't be used. And that's an argument that people have. And I always thought the, the scripture that says, make music and melody in your heart, kind of fit an instrument. Mm -hmm. Because you're not making the music with your mouth, you're making it with your heart, with your hands. And if that wasn't worship and praise, I can't think of a time that I've worshiped more. Thank you. Or deeper. Well, if we go back to memories... Uh, I, I have a memory of you and I back in 1974 when we went to India. We were there for six weeks, and uh, we, we were dropped off in a, ta a taxi cab down, downtown, down, uh, down near where the docks were. Calcutta. Calcutta. Was it Calcutta? Calcutta, India. I was thinking that we were Madras on this particular thing, but we were supposed to evangelize to people just on the streets, you know. And as we were walking through there, these beggar children, came up. You've been to India, and mm -hmm. I know that you know what it's like, and, and they're professional beggars. I mean, that's their job, you know. And uh, they were come up and begging us for money. Well, Jack just put his arm out, and these kids start swinging on it. And then he put his arm out, and more kids came swinging. I put my arms out, and we had like eight or nine kids swinging on our arms. And they weighed them, you know. And they had yeah. not played in their in no. their entire existence. They were just lost, and they were become kids, I think, maybe for the first time. And all of a sudden, this guy came out and cleared his throat, <clears> and he was the boss. And they all went back to running and begging for money. But I remembered that you looked past what that need was and saw the true need that they had. And by imitating Christ in that way, you made a difference in those kids' lives. We learned that kids are the same all over the world, mm -hmm. and the kids want to play. And uh, there's a kind of a serious uh, story that I could tell about what we were learning as we were traveling on the road together. I think as far as learning about God and my faith and to be solid in my faith and the reason why I think both of us have made it through 
decades of ministry and staying staying faithful is what we learned together because we hashed out, why are we doing this? Did Jesus really die on the cross for me? Is grace really, re- I mean, all of those things. We, we What's talk- the relevance of yeah, our faith? Yeah, we hashed it out. Mm-hmm. And um, we were staying at Wayne Jocelyn, was a preacher at a little town in central Indiana. And he had two uh, very, very handicapped children. They were in specialized wheelchairs, and they couldn't feed themselves. They couldn't dress themselves. They were just uh, very visibly and very seriously uh, hurt. You know, I mean, it was just. And uh, that day, we both had spent the night in Wayne Jocelyn's house. And in the morning, we both needed to get to the shower. And Wayne told us just to go through their bedroom into their shower. There we'd have privacy. But on the bed lay his son and his daughter, those two children. And i never forget this. Yeah. Um, J.D. walked past them, went first, came out, and he was visibly shaken. It was almost immediately after seeing that that I walked into the bedroom going to the shower for that morning, and I saw the children there on the bed as well. And I must say, I can still remember those beautiful kids uh, just kind of, Uh, shook me as well. And so after our showers and getting all cleaned up and dressed ready for the morning service, uh, we had to have a little bit of a talk. Mm -hmm. And so J.D. and I sat down and I can remember J.D. saying the word that I suppose every Christian at some point in time in your life may get to the place where you just simply look at God and ask him why. Uh, Why is this, you know, a reality? And I can remember what I said, sort of. I can remember saying, I don't know, but I do know that there's a God by these children because it wouldn't be fair if it wasn't made up to them and to their parents and that one day these children are going to run and play and dance and sing. And uh, so we, we had a moment of faith there, I think. We, well, as you're telling that story, it, it occurred to me that our entire lives, collectively and individually, have been based on mm-hmm. the concept of faith. Everything that we live for and everything that drives us is, is based on faith. We haven't seen it. And uh, that that's a real struggle, I think, for everyone at some point in their Christian walk, is to how do you deal with uh, reality versus faith? And where do you really put 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 your, put your foot down and, and, and go forward? How do you feel about that? <laughs> We've talked about this before. The The moment that hit that for me was uh, when my wife and I experienced a, a stillbirth oh, with our yeah. first child. Mm. And um, it, 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 it wasn't like a, a struggle for days or anything. I mean, it, it was more of a, a strong moment because uh, in that moment... Um, I was able to take a look at my life and my loss similarly as how God looked at the loss of his own son. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Because in that moment, I felt like I was pulled away from it. And sort of like one of those, you know, 
there's a commercial that shows this lady laying on the grass and, and it's focused on her eye. It, pull, it pulls away from her eye and you see her and then you see the, the place where she's laying and then you see the earth and then you see, and, and the next thing you know, uh, it's like you can't distinguish the earth from anything else. You're out here floating in the universe and then it, and it kind of comes back in there. It was a moment sort of like that where I just felt like it, it wasn't like a spiritual you know, vision, like I was pulled up and taken away. But no, just my thoughts it pulled away. And then I'm coming down, but I'm not seeing my wife again laying on that table. I'm seeing the cross from this kind of perspective where I'm above it looking down. And I see God looking on his son. And I felt like in that moment, He's telling me, I know your pain. Mm-hmm. I really, really know your pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, to me, faith, you know, when I was taking evolution and ecology in college, you know, they're teaching you that faith means doubt. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, you, they're associating faith with a lack of evidence, just believing something when there's doubt. And that's not what the Bible teaches us about faith, okay? And I think a lot of people have adopted that sort of secular thinking mm-hmm. when it comes to faith. But to me, faith is, you hear hoofbeats outside your window, and you think, okay, every time I've heard hoofbeats outside the window, it's horses, you know? Now, if I was in Africa, it might be zebras. But I don't think there's going to be a zebra outside that window. I think it's going to be horses running outside the window. Um, and, and faith is knowing that God's going to do what he says he's going to do because you've seen what he's done. Oh, that's a good concept. That's what faith is. So it's not that we know what's going to happen, but we know we've got a God that we can trust. Mm-hmm. We know we've got a God that we can believe in because he's done it before. It's just like the sun coming up every morning. You know what's going to happen again tomorrow. God's like that. You know, he's got it. He's got it under control. He's not necessarily doing things the way we want to or how we would plan it. Mm -hmm. But that's to me what faith means. It means understanding and believing that he knows more than I do. He's I've seen he's seen him do it before. I know he's going to do it again. I remember when we were on the road together, uh, young, we were young men in the music ministry, and uh, things would happen to us, and we'd think, well, God, what are you doing? I mean, here we are, do, we are we're sacrificing our families and our lives, and, and we, we're not you know, getting rich off the music, and you know, so like other people are doing, and then this happens to us. We get a flat tire, we get pulled over by a state trooper, like that happened to him all the time. <laughs> uh, but anyway, and you'd say, why, why is this happening to me? I bet you everybody that is in the sound of my voice has had that thought. God, mm. I'm yours. Why are you allowing me to go through that? And uh, I'm just curious mm. how you handled that idea. You've had a lot of struggles in your life since I've known you. Mm. And somehow you have been faithful through it all. How do you do that, Jack? Well, it's, it's not me doing that. Uh, you have to get to the place where you have a relationship with God, and that relationship should be growing. It's not that we ever get perfect uh, at all. I don't mean that, or better than anyone else. But it's just uh, being faithful to that relationship with God and seeing Him work in your life 
and uh, receiving him by grace, realizing that it's not anything that I have done or said that has earned his grace. It's because of who he is and what he has done mm -hmm. that has given me that. And, and this morning I was interesting that we bring this up, didn't know we were going to go this direction. But uh, at my age now, having retired, not busy with the work of the ministry and pastoring, it causes you to reflect, you know, and the reflection is, you know, I still need to be doing something. I still need to be, uh, you know, so that I can be pleasing to God still. You know, I don't want to lose that, that connection, that contact. I can't. No. But that tendency is even after all this time, even after all these years, all these experiences, all this growth, you still, you still can get to that place where the doubt comes in, the questions come in, the fear comes in. Uh, all of those things. And so you have to guard your heart. You have to guard your mind. And so I wrote down three questions this morning in my journal as I was doing my study today. And uh, the three questions, very simple questions, because I'm a very simple person. Um, what have I done in my life? What am I doing in my life? What am I going to do in my life? Because your life doesn't stop. You know, and I think that there's a purpose in all of it. And to realize that uh, if I want anybody to remember me in any way, I want when they see me or when they think of me to think of Jesus, to, to uh, kind of uh, relegate me with him. Like, uh, what did you know about him? Well, he did this for the Lord, or he sang this song about God, or he wrote this song about God, or he... he he was my friend, or he did this, and it always drew them to Jesus. That would be my desire. Don't know if that's going to be the way it's going to be, but that would be my desire. And to realize that I'm dead, and it's Christ that lives in me. Um, and that's what's the most important thing, just to realize that I gave myself up a long, long time ago. And if I get in the flesh and start doing things in the flesh or with a lack of faith, it's because I resurrected a dead man mm. and started listening to what that dead guy's saying. No, you keep him in Christ and let Christ grow in you, and yeah. hopefully Christ will be seen Absolutely. through what you do and what you say. And um, don't always, you know, I'm, don't always match that high ideal, but that is my ideal. Mm -hmm. Um so I think what J.D.'s saying, living by faith, I, I just look at you now, J.D., and I think of um, us uh, driving around you as a 19, 20-year-old young man saying, um, is this really real? Did Jesus really do all these things? Mm -hmm. And you having that solidified in your mind and heart, there's no question. And when you get to this time when something happens, it's just something. It's just, okay, that's the way life is. That's fine. It doesn't batter your ship. It doesn't knock you off course. It it hurts. You feel it. But uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay here. I'm okay with God. And I, I, I would share that with anyone. I, I think I would say the older we get, the easier it is to trust God yeah. because we have no choice. Yeah, yeah. Almost. Yeah, I mean, true. and we've had enough experience. We've made it through all of these things, and God's been faithful to us in all these things. And you look and say, well, what's left? What, what can happen to me that 
hasn't that God can't control. And I, I'm so looking forward to the promise of God of us spending eternity together, where you don't have to be a doctor and you don't have to be a retired guy, you know, with the with all the ugly diseases that you, you're fighting and so forth, you know. And I don't have to be the smart guy in the room all the time. <laughs> no, uh, but if you'd asked me 50 years ago. Uh, do you think you'll ever get the opportunity to go minister in China to thousands of people, right. for instance, right. or get to write songs with Bill Gates, or any of the things right. that God's allowed? If you ask me that 50 years ago, I go, yeah, right. You know, but God has a purpose in allowing all those things to happen. It's easy for let go to your head and think, well, it's about me. When I got to China, it confirmed for me that it was bigger than I could ever possibly do. It had to be God because it was not me. Mm. And it was a wonderful confirming thing that I was not in control of it, so I don't have to worry about it. God was in control of it. And I think that's true in our lives if we allow it, is that God really is in control of it. And you need brothers. You need sisters in Christ. You need people around you. Yeah. Don't pull back into your cave or pull away. You know, give of yourself. Uh, I can remember my 25th birthday, John. I remember <laughs> my 25th birthday like it was yesterday. <laughs> And I'll never it, it wasn't yesterday, by the way. <laughs> oh, many my yesterday's birthday was almost 50 years ago. I'm surprised you remembered it so long ago. So my my 25th birthday was in was spent in Calcutta, India, oh, yeah. in in a hotel, and we saw the the little babies with the pooched out bellies and the string being arms and legs, and people because of their religious faith, they were going down to this river that was filthy and 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 germ ridden and 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 ceremoniously washing with this filthy water and making themselves sick by doing this and we watched this and um i was feeling sorry for myself we had been gone then for about half the trip so well, about we three were on weeks house in. arrest if you remember yeah we, we couldn't get out we couldn't get out of the deal and so it was just him and so i'm looking at jd and i'm looking at my 25th birthday i'm thinking of my little wife back here you know and uh she was a lot cuter than he was and uh i was feeling sorry for myself and so here jd comes out of the bathroom with a cake of soap and with a match stuck in the soap, lit, singing happy birthday <laughs> to you. I didn't get a cake to eat, but I got a cake of soap it didn't with a match. Me. And got J.D., who I say couldn't sing, trying to sing happy birthday <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. And it had to make you smile. It had to make you laugh. And, and it did. And uh, that's a simple story, but that's just a story of, of multitudes of things that... Um, that we've experienced together and probably you have experienced with your good, good friends. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for inviting me on yeah, today. Absolutely. And, uh, appreciate it. And uh, the last statement I'd like to say is God is bigger than any of us, Amen. but he chooses to work through us. Mm -hmm. If we allow him, he gives us everything we have and it's for a purpose. There's no accidents in, 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 in the scheme of things in God's plan. And you're not too good and you're not too bad for God to use. And I, I'm a living testimony of that. So yeah. thank you all for letting me come. Yeah. I, I would just add to that that God can use you whether you let him or not. Balaam? Are you thinking? Balaam, <laughs> Jonah. Yeah. I mean, Pharaoh. Know, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And you yeah. don't know. You don't know right. what what you're doing and what it, who it's affecting. Right. And uh, You know, just like asking a Chinese restaurant owner about the music. 
Mm-hmm. You don't know what that's going to do. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful story. Yeah. My only disappointment with that story is that you didn't think of me when you're having building that bandit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. You got to he go did to Honduras. A, he did ask me to, to go. He did ask me to go, but your friend got sick, right? Joe, Joe passed Joe. away last yeah. year. Yeah, he he sure did. Yeah, and uh, I just had no idea what a great friendship that we you know we yeah. would have and what would come from that. But God can use anything. You're exactly right. He yeah. can he he can use a, a, a guy washing dishes in a in a restaurant meet, meeting up with a music director from a church. He can use that. He can use anything. Right, folks. Thank you so much for being uh, with us and for listening, uh, JD. Just thank you for being here. We, we love you. Love and, you guys. Uh, you know we, that. we have to have you back sometime. Yeah. So, or All we'll right. do something special. You know, maybe yeah. maybe put some music together or something. Yeah, we didn't talk fun. about his so. current ministry in the church. Oh, that that's he's right. Yeah. And uh, just some of the other things, many, many, many valuable things that J.D. could share with us that could be beneficial. Yeah. We look, we'll he- we'll look forward to heaven because we'll have plenty of time to do all yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. And you guys can do whatever you want in heaven. You won't have to listen to us. Hey, so You don't have to listen to us now. <laughs> that's right, but we thank you for doing it. <laughs> We'll see you guys next time.